and welcome to Talking With Cancer. I'm Katie, and I'm here to give you an honest, real, and even funny outlook on living with cancer. There is no one way to do cancer, and I've decided to share my story to help and inspire others, as well as raise awareness. At age 43, I was diagnosed with a rare type of thyroid cancer known as hobnail in February 2022, having never had any health issues previously. I was fit and well and took pretty good care of myself. But despite that, I got a diagnosis and I am on a long-term treatment plan. On this podcast, I will be sharing my progress regularly. And I often speak to amazing guests who've been impacted by cancer in some way. I really hope you enjoy listening. And if you do, then please rate, review, follow and recommend the pod. Hi, listeners. It's been a while since I've chatted on here solo. I took a month off. Yeah, that was a really good thing to do, actually. I took a couple of weeks off social media and I just felt that taking that step back, getting some perspective, not feeling that pressure, which I feel sometimes, which I put upon myself to be updating on my social media posts and be on here talking about what's going on. You know, I went through a period of not really wanting to do that. So I didn't do it. And I feel good for making that decision, actually, and really thinking about what felt right for me. And that's not to neglect my lovely listeners, you guys. But, you know, sometimes I have to weigh up like what I'm doing this podcast for. And it's got actually... It kind of serves many purposes, I feel. Definitely one of them is helping myself. I've talked about that before. It's incredibly cathartic coming on here and talking about where I'm at. It's also really interesting for me to have a record because I have at times listened back to old episodes and it's kind of been really good reminders that even through the struggles, like I've come through the other side there's really informative conversations I have with some amazing people. I mean, all of my guests are brilliant and fascinating and it kind of takes me in all different directions with the cancer experience and with the diagnosis and with the treatment. So that feels like I get more informed with each chat that I have, which is very special. And of course, this community that I've created of incredible listeners People out there who get in touch with me often to say, like, listening to this has been really helpful. They may respond to what I'm going through. There's areas where they can relate to. There's areas where they have a loved one going through something similar. And it's just brilliant and wonderful to feel that, you know, what I'm sharing is helping other people and it's touching other people in some way. And it's great. It's a really great thing to know and to get that feedback as well is amazing so yeah having that break's been really good and I was thinking back to that last episode where I asked my mum to share sort of how she felt about coming with me to the colonoscopy to the hospital and I thought that was really insightful and it was interesting for me to hear her position on that and how that felt. I'm trying to think about, I mean, it feels like a lot has gone on 
since that episode and a lot has gone on a lot a lot I think really and truly when I look back on the year so far it's been a really really tough seven months I really didn't do well on the last treatment that I was on lenvatinib and in fact what's happened is I've had to come off it and it's a funny feeling because obviously I wanted the drug to work but unfortunately it stopped working as my scans showed there was some progression and that was when I'd only been on it for like six months so that was a bit of a surprise when I get a scan result, I always afterwards sort of think, did I know deep down? Like, did my intuition sense something with that? It's so hard to tell. Like I've said before, I've got some cancerous lymph nodes that I can feel. And I kind of keep a check on those and, and think, oh, are they getting bigger? Are they getting smaller? What this scan showed was that some of the disease was stable and some of it had progressed. So, you know, despite whatever I can feel or what I think's going on in the lumps, I can feel like there's a lot that's going on that I can't see and feel down my windpipe, in my lung. What the scan showed is that some of the lymph nodes around the back of the bowel have started to show up. And it's not necessarily that these are suddenly there and they weren't there before but I've said before that a scan only shows up a tumor if it is a centimeter is that right is it a centimeter I think it's it's got to be a centimeter to show up or thereabouts so you know there are there can be tumors that that go undetected in a scan so anyway I got the news and I did what I always do, which is my initial response is pretty practical. I mean, there were some tears following the discussion with Kate Newbold. She'd already had in mind what the next treatment would be. It was something she even had in mind when she gave me my last treatment, the lenvatinib. She was already kind of a step ahead, which I was so grateful for. I then, after the appointment, went and sat with my lovely nurse, Sonia, who... You know, she's so generous with her time. And we sat for about half an hour and just talked through everything. Like, what's this new treatment? What does she see with it? What kind of side effects does she see? Like, I think I said to her, actually, Sonia, do I have a shitload of cancer? (laughs) And um, (laughs) I mean, how do you answer that? You know, she basically confirmed that, like, the lymph node pathway is the pathway that the cancer takes very clearly. And, you know, it's pretty fast growing. Like, that's the reality of this cancer. So anyway, she gave me like a really kind of well-rounded view of the new drug, which is called cabozantinib. And I basically, like the reason for them giving me this drug is because it treats the thyroid cancer. It does also treat the metastases in the lung, but it's also given for ROS1 mutations. So it's sort of tackling those three areas for me, which feels really positive. I had to do the usual, which is I had to have a biopsy. I've had that before. The first time I had that around the time that I was diagnosed was pretty horrific. 
I've said it on here before, it was like a real butcher job and it was really traumatic. So I had to have that again in February. I was at a different hospital, I might add, when I had it the first time. So when I had it in February, the radiographer was so gentle and lovely and the irony was that he took a biopsy on the left side of my neck, which is still very numb since the surgery I had last year. That can happen. Like, there's still a lot of nerves that may or may not come back. So I didn't feel a thing. This time I went and I was, like, hoping he would still do it in the left side. And he said, look, it's really up to you, like, where you want it. I can see a few lumps on the left side and a few on the right. So I said, can you go in on the left? The reason I had to have the biopsy is because what we are always looking for with me, and we know that my pathology shows a mutating gene. So I have the ROS1 gene, and that's a mutation that's basically caused the cancer. So a lot of the treatment that I've had has been actually to target the ROS1. So interesting. So what they want to look at when they take a biopsy is, has anything changed in the cancer? Has it evolved in a way that like there are more mutations because that can happen? Have the cells changed at all? So what the results show is that the cancer is the same. So I still have thyroid cancer and that's the same. I'm waiting to hear back about the mutating gene as to whether there's any change in that. So it's actually the correct term is the CD74 ROS1 fusion. I think that's right. So anyway, I had that done. And then the following week, so this was like two weeks after my scan results, I started on the cabozantinib, which was only like four days ago. It's a little pill. It's very accommodating. It's very easy, easy to travel with, easy to take. And I have to take that on an empty stomach and I take it sort of early evening time. And so far... Like I say, I've only had four doses, but so far I haven't felt anything. I think it does take a while for any side effects to kick in, but I feel pretty positive about that. When I got this news originally from Kate, I did what I think probably a lot of people do in my position, which is search for hope anywhere that I could find it, desperately searching for hope. So once I got the news and I responded in a very practical way, it took a couple of days for me to really kind of land in a big heap on the floor, metaphorically, and just felt incredibly sad, incredibly hopeless, just so, so upset by everything. And you can't help but like project into the future and Logic tells me that within a year and a half, I'm starting my third cancer treatment. How long is that going to last? No one can tell me. We just have to keep tracking it by having scans every few months. So it's, you know, it's a pretty miserable situation. And I had to go through a pretty miserable time of really sort of processing that and just accepting that and figuring out how on earth I got to this place in my life. You know, all of that stuff, all of that really, really challenging, sad stuff. And I think what I found myself doing was just allowing myself to be in that place, feeling very uncomfortable with it, feeling very sad, 
feeling, you know, very low, but nonetheless, allowing myself to be there, like literally offering myself however many days in bed I needed to go through and deal with that reality. Dinch was, of course, amazing. And he said, you've got to go through this. This is a phase. And he had to go away for work for a couple of days. And I was dreading that. But you know what? It was actually quite good to have that space to, in the cold light of day, be by myself and be on my own. And it was in in that time, really, that I said I was looking for this hope. I was looking anywhere for hope. And I think, like, you know, you have to be careful when you're in that position. It's a very vulnerable position to be in. And there are many, many ways and means out there to make you feel better about your situation. And some of those ways and means aren't quite right. They are not a solution to where I'm at. They may sound like they offer a solution, but intuitively they don't feel right for me. And I think like intuition is huge, huge part of this when it comes to what are the approaches? How do I want to live my life from here? I have to really tap in and tune in to like, okay, what's motivating me to go down that route or that route or that route? And in these in these kind of days of, of desperation and searching for hope, I decided to download the Radical Remission docuseries, which is something that you can buy online. It's I think it's about £35. It's a 10-part series. And I also downloaded the audiobook. And I've always been aware of radical remission and the studies around why and how certain cancer patients very unexpectedly, despite their prognosis, managed to be cured of cancer or another chronic illness. And a cancer psychotherapist called Kelly Turner started to look into this when she was practicing about 15 years ago because she came across some patients who, you know, were being cured of cancer despite being told their cancer was incurable or despite being told their cancer was terminal. And she started to look into what were the things that these patients were doing in order to get them to this place where they found themselves in remission, like no evidence of disease. It's a really fascinating study. There's lots of different case studies that she talks about in the book. There are different people that appear on the documentary. And like I say, you know, some of the approaches are quite extreme. But the thing that seems to the common denominators or the common factors, and by the way, a lot of these people stay on treatment. So it's not about coming off treatment or trying completely alternative route, although some of them do. And that's obviously, that's not my approach. But there are certain factors that they all do. They all exercise. They all radically change their diet in some way. They all take some form of herb or supplement under the advice of a nutritionist, by the way, which is highly recommended. They all have a strong reason to live. They have positive social relationships. They do some form of like spiritual or psychological therapy or some form of like emotional healing, I should say. I think meditation is one of the factors as well. And I can't remember off by heart what the other ones are. But basically, 
all pretty doable stuff. A lot of the things that I am doing anyway, but I think one thing that I've I've been doing recently, which I have noticed has helped me hugely, is I've upped the exercise. So I wasn't really feeling up to it before when I was on the lembatinib because of the nausea and, and those kind of side effects. But I have been seeing my trainer, who I used to train with many, many years ago. We just do really gentle exercise twice a week, which is brilliant. And um, I've been doing the yoga for cancer with Vicky Fox on Zoom a couple of times a week as well, which I really enjoy. And, um, you know, I'm trying things with diet at the moment. I've cut out sugar. So I'm kind of, you know, going down that road and seeing how that treats me and just really, really prioritizing my health in every which way that I can. That's my question before I do anything or agree to anything or think about doing something. My question is, how is this going to impact on my health? And I mean, it, it sounds so obvious, you know, it's taken me like a year and a half to get to this point. But, you know, you do forget because I am the same person, like <laughs> you forget that there are things that will impact on how I feel. And I have to be really mindful of that. So I think that this new approach for me, I mean, it's not that new, but kind of how it's all come together, I guess, in the last few weeks is as I've said before, is about how I feel day to day. And I know that with exercise and the right kind of food and getting lots of good sleep and, you know, being outside, which I enjoy, all the things that I know are good for me, I feel encouraged that if I have all of that where it needs to be, it's going to help the treatment do its job even better. And I really believe that. And I think having that belief is... Again, it's another element of what leads people to get better and to feel better. So I feel good about that. I feel really good at the moment. I feel hugely relieved as well. You know, just the relief of feeling better generally day to day is huge. It's like I've said before, when you're in that space where you don't feel good, you kind of wonder if you ever will feel good again. So it's a huge relief to be feeling good again. And yeah, it's great to be back here, guys, and to be chatting to you. So um, thanks for bearing with me on my little break. I hope that you enjoyed the chat last week with the Rad Chat hosts. Weren't they great? I mean, they are so incredibly passionate about what they do. It's just so lovely. This week's Voice with Cancer is from Emily, Emily Taylor, who actually has... I mean, a sort of fairly similar story to me in terms of the surgery and the type of cancer that she has. I'm going to play that voice note for you now. Hi, my name's Emily. I'm 43 years old. And last year, May 2022, I was diagnosed with a rare form of thyroid cancer called medullary thyroid cancer. It was found incidentally on a scan that I had because I had a shoulder injury. I did have a lump, a small lump in my neck, which I'd kind of put in down to swollen glands and but otherwise pretty symptomless. You know, fast forward a bit of time where we did lots of testing. I then went for surgery in end of May, 30th of May. Last year, I had a total thyroidectomy and a neck dissection, which they took out 60 lymph nodes. So very, very big surgery, very difficult. I lost my voice. I had lots of other issues. So very difficult surgery. The cancer had spread to my liver. So I had a liver resection in July last year. 
uh, where they took out two tumours. I then had a radiofrequency ablation on my neck because when I had my surgery, they found out I also had papillary thyroid cancer, which is kind of the more common or a treatable form of thyroid cancer. The medullary thyroid cancer is, is a incurable, essentially incurable cancer, something that I'm going to have to monitor long term and, and pretty relatively unknown circumstance. I recently just had a liver ablation where they ablated eight lesions in my liver and I'm probably due to have some more treatment on my liver soon. And, you know, it's a really tough ride. It's uh, scary and the fear of unknown of this is, you know, something really, really difficult to deal with and it's up and down. Sometimes I feel great, normal, really kind of revived sense of life, essentially, because I change lots of things about my life and other times it's just very, very difficult. So thank you for listening and Katie, thank you for having me on. Thank you, Emily. You're right. I think you put it really well. Like there are times where you kind of feel like you got this and um, everything seems to be clear and have some sort of meaning behind it. And then there's other times where it's just an absolute nightmare to be living through. You can go from one extreme to the other of feeling those things. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I know that you are on Instagram as Emmy Starts Healing. And again, it's great that we've connected. And thank you for being a voice with cancer. Next week, I speak to the brilliant journalist and writer, Rosamond Dean. She's written a book called Reconstruction, which is all about her journey with breast cancer and life after breast cancer. We have a really great chat, so listen out for that. And I will speak to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>